the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on am860theanswer.com. And you can reach me 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time every Sunday, either on this station, 860 a.m., or you can go to my website, drbillradiomd.com. That's drbillradiomd.com. And click join me or listen live or whatever button is showing. Or you can go to the to the radio station's website, am860theanswer.com, and click Listen Live as well. Well, I was out of pocket last week. We were on a cruise in the Caribbean. Oh, boy, it was really a, a, a nice week away from the office and from all the responsibilities and duties. And we had just a, a wonderful time. We went to St. Martin and Labadee, which is a private reserve owned by Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines on Haiti, on the island. And we also stopped at San Juan, Puerto Rico, which is just a lovely town. And I love Puerto Rico. It's probably, from my experience, one of the most affluent islands for its population size in the Caribbean because it's part of the United States. They're still doing a few repairs in San Juan from the hurricane last year. And out in the country, there are still a lot of homes that have no roofs. So there is ongoing construction and ongoing repairs. But all in all, I was surprised that both St. Martin and San Juan had fared so well. And St. Martin's interesting. It was originally split between the French and the Dutch. Uh, The Dutch side voted to go independent five years ago. So they're now an independent country. The French side of the island is still part of France, and as one of the guys on the Dutch side said, when it snows in Paris and the schools are closed for a snow day, they close the schools in French St. Martin. So (laughs) fascinating the way they look at it. And uh, he said they're very French over there, very French. By the way, he was from Argentina. He escaped the Argentinian crises and emigrated to St. Martin and is now a full-fledged St. Martin citizen. Doesn't speak French, by the way, only Spanish, English, and Dutch. Well, we had someone call a couple of weeks ago and uh, say that John McCain had caused the fire on the USS Forrestal, which was an aircraft carrier in the 1950s and 60s. Now, this occurred in July of 1967, 
when the Forrestal was deployed to North Vietnam and the air bombing of North Vietnam and planes were flown off the deck. And uh, McCain was a pilot on that plane, but he did not start that fire. So I wanted to set the record straight and tell you a little bit about this fire. It's fascinating how this all came about. And that's not to say that I still don't have the same feelings about McCain and his actions as a senator and a congressman and allowing his emotions and his personal opinions to interfere with what I consider to be the healthy and safe function of the United States. But that's my opinion. But I can't take away from him his military duty and what he accomplished. And it's a a fascinating story. Now, the the Forrestal was scheduled to fly sorties the following morning, and they were out of some of the newer bombs and ammunition. Uh, the, the ship had taken on Korean-era bombs, which were one and 2,000-pound bombs, which were essentially unstable, and there had been a big debate both by the ship that was uh, ferrying the the bombs to the Forrestal and the, the Forrestal crew as to whether or not they would even accept these bombs because they were so raggedy looking and they were in crates that were molded and rotting. And uh, the captain of the Forrestal made the fatal decision to accept the bombs because he didn't have any ordinance and he had been ordered to fly these, the, to send his planes off the deck of the aircraft carrier to fly these sorties into North Vietnam and drop bombs on military targets. So the crew said, well, we're not going to store this down in the magazine, which is inside the ship. And that's where the, the explosives are generally stored is in a magazine because it's, uh, it's uh, super fortified. And, and if it blows up, it's in a separate compartment and it won't destroy the whole ship. Uh, At least that's the theory. So they stored it on the deck and, in what they called the bomb barn, uh, which is an area on the deck of the ship that has got some built-up material around it in case something does go off and it might provide a little protection. Well, also on the uh, Vietnam-era jets, and by the way, on the deck of the ship, the the planes that were flying the sorties, I believe, were Skyhawks, and they had on them... Zuni unguided missiles or rockets, and these were stored in in, in the ship and also on the planes, and the, the planes could hold several of these little rockets, and they could be fired at ground targets unguided, so you just had to make a an eyesight and do that. And they were actually uh, armed electronically, and so what happened is that one of these little Zuni missiles when one of the planes switched from deck power to its own internal power, shorted out, and the Zuni missile fired. Now, it wasn't armed, so you can fire a lot of ordnance, a lot of rockets and, and bombs, and if they're not armed, if, they're not, if the detonator is not set to go off on impact or when it gets close to the target or whatever it is that, that triggers the detonator, then the ordnance, the explosive, won't fire. However, this goes skidding across the deck, and as it skids across the deck, it, it hits 
uh, Fred White's plane and also hits McCain's plane and it hits their fuel tanks. And so all of a sudden there's fuel all over the deck and the sparks from this little missile that's skidding across the deck ignite the, the rocket fuel or the jet fuel, which is basically kerosene. Uh, and so the Zuni's warhead safety mechanism prevented it from going off, but it broke apart on impact when it hit these external fuel tanks on these uh, fighter jets, fighter bomber jets that were supposed to take off of the deck. And as it spread across the deck and under White and McCain's plane, it, it, it caught on fire. And so there was an instant uh, conflagration, an instant fire explosion, if you will. And a sailor standing about 100 feet away was struck by a fragment of the Zuni. And uh, as these fragments of the Zuni exploded, they spread out and did damage to other planes. And uh, this resulted in more fuel being dumped onto the deck of the aircraft carrier. There was a 55 to 60 mile per hour wind, I'm sorry, a 35 to 40 mile per hour wind. And this blew uh, uh, flames across the deck and pretty soon more jets were involved. So then these uh, Korean era 1000 pound bombs uh, fell from one of the A4 Skyhawks to the deck and uh, fell into a pool of burning fuel between White and McCain's aircraft. By the way, McCain escaped by opening his canopy and sliding down the nose of his jet. He tried to help some other fellows get out of their jets. Apparently, he was uh, very heroic in his efforts. Uh, they were strapped in, by the way, so that's you know not an easy thing to get yourself out of that cross strap in a jet in a hurry. It's meant to hold you in tight so that if you have to eject, uh, and, and blow yourself out of the cockpit that you <laughs> won't be separated from your seat and your parachute. So these A-4 Skyhawks are all of a sudden catching on fire. There's a live bomb, 1,000-pound bomb on the deck, and these, uh, these Korean-era bombs had been in storage, and because of the nature of the chemicals that they were made up of, the explosive chemicals, they had gotten more potent over time. What can happen is that you can have oxidation of some of the materials inside of a bomb, and oxidation just means that it picks up oxygen. If you if you if you do that with iron, we call that rust. Uh, but oxygen is one of the things that's necessary, as I've explained before, for hydrocarbon fuels to burn. And the the bombs are basically hydrocarbons with high energy nitrogen or phosphate chains in them, and so they need oxygen. So there's more oxygen available as well. The, uh, the high explosives can uh, weep out of the bombs and crystallize on the surface of the bombs, making them unstable, especially if it's something like nitroglycerin. And you can see this in your garage if you leave a bag of fertilizer sitting for a year or two with the bag unsealed so that the moisture gets in and you'll see at the bottom you'll see a liquid that will come out and that is the nitrogen component which is what the explosives are made out of they're made out of nitrogen high nitrogen bonds and and the same thing as as fertilizers nitrates are fertilizers and ammonium nitrate is a high explosive and so that that's how these things become unstable 
And not only were the bombs unstable, but the crates that they came in were rotten and molded because all this had been stored outside. All of a sudden, you've got a thousand pound bomb on top of the fire. And the crew had uh, an emergency response team, a fire team on the deck. But because the lessons of World War II had been forgotten, the entire crew had not been trained in fire uh, management and fire fighting, which had happened in World War II after the Japanese, especially after the Japanese started their kamikaze attacks on the on the ships and everybody on the ship had to know what to do. Well, one of the men on the on the fire team, without putting on his suit or doing anything else, he just immediately went and tried to uh, douse this bomb with with foam and blankets and keep it from exploding because they thought they had some time. They didn't realize how unstable these bombs were. And usually they have some time before the interior of the bomb will heat up through the casing of the bomb and it will blow up. Well, of course, that didn't happen and this thing blew up and a chain reaction started. Uh, there were a number of men that jumped or were blown into the ocean, immediately killed. Uh, the fire spread and entered the lower decks. There were people sleeping and these uh, bombs are going off on the deck, missiles, rocket warheads were heated by the explosions and the fire with varying degrees of violence and several of the explosions of these thousand pound bombs were estimated to be as much as 50% more powerful than the standard thousand pound bomb. So it was more like a 1500 pound bomb due to their degraded uh, composition B, which was the mixture of explosive chemicals in them. And the detonation opened up holes in the, in the flight deck, uh, the, liquid fuel that was on fire dripped down below. It tore several holes in, in different parts of the deck, 40,000 gallons of burning jet fuel from ruptured aircraft tanks poured into the deck and through the holes and into the hangar bays and into the berthing or the sleeping compartments below. Uh, and 41 additional crew members were killed in internal compartments. Uh, they were sleeping some of these people and, Next thing you know, they're dead. So from all over the ship, people rallied to fight the fire and control further damage. And they started pushing aircrafts, missiles, rockets, bombs, burning fragments uh, off the ship into the ocean, which is what you do on an aircraft carrier when you have a situation like that. Or even if you have a plane that may blow up, they just push it off into the ocean. They don't even wait. Part of the problem is that they're training for firefighting that had been so well practiced for World War II and had been remembered in the Korean War had been forgotten in the decade plus since the Korean War and when we went back into Vietnam. And so the crew was not trained. They had a specialized firefighting team. And some of the crew members who were untrained were pumping uh, seawater onto the fire to try to douse it. And of course, we know that oil and water don't mix and you can't put out a kerosene or a gasoline fire with with water you put it out with uh, with co2 foam or some other kind of foam that will smother it and so you had the fire crews that were trained spraying these bombs and this ordinance and this fire with foam and then you had other crew members who were trying to fight it with with water <laughs> it was a self-defeating situation you know one 
one crew was putting it out and the other one was reigniting it because the oil being lighter, the kerosene being lighter, the fuel being lighter would float to the top of the water and reignite. So the fire raged for the better part of a day and it took them several days for the whole situation to cool down enough to where they could actually get into compartments and pull out the dead bodies and uh, find the injured men and, and do what they could do to salvage the ship. And the ship finally was, uh, was rescued, but they lost, I believe, a couple hundred men and probably wounded as many. Uh, don't know how many were blown over the, over the side of the ship. Destroyers pulled alongside of her and picked up the men who were blown off or had jumped into the water. That's a that's a pretty high jump. If you've ever been on an aircraft carrier and you jump off of that top deck, I mean, it's like jumping off the Skyway Bridge. So uh, it would be um, maybe not that high, but it would certainly be a long jump. And if you didn't know what you were doing, you'd probably kill yourself on impact with the water. So who knows how many people drowned, uh, but certainly John McCain had nothing to do with this. It was not his plane. He was sitting, uh, waiting for orders to, to launch, uh, to be catapulted off the deck. He escaped and helped other people escape and apparently was very heroic in his actions. So we can't take that away from the guy. Now, as far as his political life, I've already made myself very clear on that. And I really am not interested in uh, rehashing that. The man's dead. He's in the ground. The Democrats have moved on to something else. And uh, they're going after Kavanaugh, which is unfortunate. Apparently, this is a really good guy. And for Diana Feinstein to pick up this this banner on behalf of the left wing is is really uh, in my opinion, beneath her, I thought she had a little more class than that, but I can understand that she's trying to hang on to her position. So she's trying to appeal to that, uh, ultra liberal faction of the democratic party. I'm not sure that the democratic party itself is not ultra liberal, at least most of it, but she is doing what she thinks she has to do to maintain her position as a leader in the party. I think her days are over. And I kind of hope that the party morphs all the way into the socialist communist mode so that we can really better define and delineate the disagreements between the left and the right and find some way to either resolve this peacefully or get a civil war going and let's get it over with. I hope we don't have a civil war, but uh, it's looking more and more like that. You got California saying that it wants to succeed, at least part of the, of the state saying it wants to secede from the union. I doubt it's a majority of it. And you've got crazy Governor Jerry Brown, who's elected for the third time. Uh, you, you know, you say what you want about the guy. You've got to admire him for, for coming back for a third time. I mean, this started back, what, the 1970s he was a, a governor? So, I mean, this is, what, a 40- or 50-year run this guy's been in the forefront of California par politics and has been able to be elected governor three separate times in three separate decades. Whoa. Of course, he speaks out of both sides of his mouth and talks about ecology and all that. And then he's quietly looking at deals with oil companies because 
he wants to keep up with the times. And then you have people saying that, well, we don't need the United States and they don't need us. So why don't we just secede and become our own state, our own nation? Well, that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. I'll tell you what, the South has got a long memory. And if anybody tries to secede, we're going to be the first to go after them and make sure that they come back into the fold, whether they like it or not. So California best perish that thought. I don't think they'd stand much of a chance against the rest of us, even if they took Oregon and Washington and Minnesota and New York and the New England states with them, that it would not be much of a fight. So at any rate, here we are with Diana Feinstein saying really basically uh, dishonest and unsubstantiated slurs against Kavanaugh. And I don't think Kavanaugh's going to have a hard time. I think that he'll be voted uh, onto the bench, and I'm not worried about that. But uh, it just shows you the depth that the Democrats are sinking to to try to to hang on to what I don't know, hang on to. I mean, it, it's not like even if abortion is overturned, if the Roe versus Wade is overturned at the federal level, it just devolves back to the states. And if New York wants to have abortion, they can have it. You know, that's not something that the federal government will step into if Roe versus Wade is undone. And again, as I've said over the years, a lot of the hysteria over illegal abortions was made up uh, by Dr. Nathanson and his gang back in the 1950s. And by the way, Dr. Nathanson, once the ultrasound came out, changed his opinion about abortion and became a, a right to lifer and actually converted from Judaism to Catholicism in the 1990s and wrote a book about how they deceived the press and the public and were collusive with the press in, uh, in purporting that illegal abortions were killing people and that we needed legal abortion. And, and we've talked about some of the other aspects of abortion in the past and what it was motivated by. And for some people, uh, at least the feeling was that it was a way to control the poor black population. Uh, I'm not sure that that's wholly accurate, but it would not surprise me from that time period because I grew up in the 1950s and I know how the country was at that point and how it felt about a lot of people felt about the black population in the United States. Fortunately, that's changed and we have a more, uh, aware and educated populace that is accepting and, and certainly willing to even vote for um, a, a black man for, for president of the United States. We say a black man. I mean, his mother was white. Come on, he's a mutt like a lot of us. So at any rate, we've got all this going on, and we say goodbye to John McCain. Uh, we thank him for his service. We thank him for what he endured as a prisoner of war for his heroics and the fire on the forestal. And we just want to set the record straight on that. And I'm kind of going through a number of things because I'm trying to catch up on what I missed over the past uh, couple of weeks being away on vacation. By the way, if you want to chime in on any of this, I'm at 877-969-8600. That's 877 877- nine six nine eighty six hundred and I am taking your calls. This is Talk Radio Interactive eight sixty AM the answer and I'm Dr. Bill, your radio MD coming at you right here. Well 
I wanted to say a word briefly about Pope Francis. He expelled a Chilean priest under investigation uh, in a case involving sexual abuse of kids in, in Chile. And that was according to a local report in Chile. And the worldwide scandal that has shaken the Roman Catholic Church uh, or has reshaken the Roman Catholic Church, this all came up in 2000. And I was part of that back then. I was part of the lawsuit against the Archdiocese of Louisville because of Father Miller and the sexual molestation and abuse that he perpetrated on about 125 of us kids back then. I didn't receive much of it because the first time he did anything to me, I went immediately to my father and my father immediately addressed it. Unfortunately, he was not removed from the priesthood or from uh, the frontline interaction with kids at the parochial schools, but rather he was just moved from parish to parish, which was what they did back then. They sent him for some psychiatric counseling. And of course, this is a sociopathy and you can't cure sociopaths. You can't cure disability, uh, uh, personality disorders. These things uh, are not curable yet under our current medical state. Uh, they can be controlled and maintained with medications, but not cured. Uh, hopefully, we'll have something for this in the near future. The science and medicine of psychiatry is still coming out of its infancy, but the medications are getting better, and we've talked about that before, too. So the Pope expelled these people, and some people have said the Pope needs to resign. My feeling is that the church needs to undergo another reformation, another fundamental change in which it addresses not only the molestation of children by priests, but also the homosexuality between the priest, which is so rampant in the church. And I know this from friends who attended the seminary in Louisville and other people who have spoken about this over the years to me. And so this is no secret. And I, I don't know how we're going to get the church to change. The, the children of my generation voted with their feet and left the Roman Catholic Church. Its numbers have been dwindling uh, proportionately since I was a kid. And I don't know if the answer is that you take it apart completely. I mean, it's a huge institution that's done a lot of good for the world. It's also done bad, just like any any organization. It's had its its sins, but it's also had its uh, its uh, angelic moments and has brought not only um, education and uh, interaction between peoples all over the world, but it's also provided charity. It's also provided uh, hope for a lot of people, given a lot of people some place to pray. It's given people a community over the world, not without its faults, no doubt about that. The Jewish side of the family is still not happy with, with Rome and uh, with the Pope, the papacy, and I can't say as I blame them. I feel the same way after the way the Jews were abandoned by the, by the church in World War II, and the way that Jews have been treated by the church, by the Roman Catholic Church over the decades, not only the Roman Catholics, but the Christian churches in general. By the way, I was on the cruise and ran into a couple, and I looked at her, 
I immediately said, are you from the Catholic or the Jewish side of the family? She said the Jewish side, you know, she looked either Jewish or Italian or, or who knows, the mixture is so much now in the Mediterranean basin, you can't tell. And then the guy said, you don't look like you're Catholic or Jewish. He was a Southern Baptist. So I got a Jew and a Baptist here. I'm like, oh my God, how times have changed. When I was a kid, Baptists thought Catholics were uh, agents of Satan and uh, Jews were not human. So uh, it, it's, it's changing so rapidly. And they seemed perfect, perfectly well suited. They were having a great time. And as we were saying goodbye on the last night, they, they gave me big kisses and hugs and said, you made our trip. I was doing my little dance and singing, and, and we were in the jazz club and having some fun there. So that was a good thing. But it's good to see that we're more ecumenical and more willing to interact with each other. I think that's important. It goes back to my feelings about the racial problems that existed in the, in the country when I was a kid and have largely been resolved. I mean, we have some uh, lingering embers and some animosity between uh, militant members of the black community and uh, some members of the police departments. Uh, I think that this is going to be eternal, that there'll be friction between the police and, and the less uh, affluent, because that apparently is where a lot of the crime will come from. And uh, a lot of the suspicion of crime is laid upon these communities, rightly or wrongly, by the police departments and the prosecutors. So, but it's better than it was. And, and I got to tell you, even though we hear a lot about policemen being assaulted and murdered, the death rate for policemen has been falling dramatically over the past several decades. And we may have had a few little upflips, and other than 9-11, there really hasn't been an increase. There's been a decrease overall since the inception of the Republic of assaults on the police. And I think in general, we're getting, I know it sounds like we're not, but in general, I, I know from the statistics I read at the FBI and from uh, a number of other sources that I tap into that we're less violent and there's less crime proportionately. There's, there's less murders, there's less assaults, so less rapes proportionately than there has been. You know, we're still talking about 10 to 12,000 murders a year in the United States, but, but that compared to the growth in the population from when I was a kid, you know, we went from 150 million to 320, 330 million now. And so I think that all in all, it's getting better and I'm not worried. Uh, and I think that the press is doing what they do best. And that is to sell press and they do it by sensationalism. Well, I'm going to go grab a cup of Joe and I'll be right back. When I come back, let's talk about, is there bias in the press? Is there freedom in the press? And what do we need to do to preserve this? We'll take a look at Google and uh, find out what the opinions are on both sides of the aisle. I'm Dr. Bill. I'll be right back. And don't forget to join me. I'm at 877-969-8600. 969 8600. Join me. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Authorities report two more deaths in South Carolina, bringing the death toll from Hurricane Florence to 13. 
A couple died after using a generator inside their home during the storm. Horry County Chief Deputy Coroner Tamara Willard says 63-year-old Mark Carter King and 61-year-old Deborah Collins Ryan were killed by breathing in carbon monoxide. Their bodies were found at a Loris home yesterday afternoon. They likely died the day before as the heavy rains and winds from the former hurricane turned tropical depression were moving onshore. That storm continues to lash the Carolinas, particularly North Carolina, with heavy rain. And that rain is going to move north into Virginia and West Virginia, we're told, the next couple of days. That could be a problem, too. Chinese state media reporting on the arrival of Typhoon Manguk today in the southern portion of the country. 2.5 million people evacuated. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727 727-384- 7-2-7-3-8-4-6-4-1-1. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare contracts, and in the process started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. Sound crazy? The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. I guarantee if we can't cancel your timeshare contract, you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit, 800-786-9300. That's 800-786-9300. 800-786-9300. Hey, America, is there anything you're truly proud of? How about becoming an aviation maintenance technician? In just 14 months, you'll be watching the metal birds that you just repaired soar back into the sky. At National Aviation Academy, we train ordinary men and women to do extraordinary things. Call 800-659-2080 or visit Wing wingmenwanted.com i can't think of anything else to be more proud of for more information about our statistics visit naa.edu slash success here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast we'll have sunshine and patchy clouds today with a thunderstorm in spots and a high of 92 partly cloudy warm and humid tonight low 79 then tomorrow some sunshine then turning cloudy and humid with a shower thunderstorm in spots high 92 shower thunderstorm around tuesday as well partly sunny otherwise high 92 that's your AccuWeather forecast i'm holly holdren for am 860 the answer
I'm back with Dr. Bill, a little bit of Little Anthony and the Imperials. And again, I play that for all of my friends on the left who are going out of their heads over me and Trump and everybody else who is thumping a more conservative line. But that's the way it goes now, isn't it? So we take our, our thumping and uh, we thump back and we do that with shows like this, and it's important that we speak out. I, I think that's very important. And there was a, a really good article in, in USA Today, which is the Pravda of the United States. That's a national daily newspaper. I don't think it's published on the weekends, just Monday through Friday. I think it's owned by Gantt, but I can't remember. They own a, a whole bunch of ultra-liberal newspapers, including the Louisville Times, which is my old hometown paper. And Bill and I were talking about this a minute ago, about the the video of the executives of Google talking about how they were going to do their best to slant their media outlet towards Hillary Clinton and against Donald Trump. And then the films that followed up when they were seen crying after Trump won and Hillary lost uh, people in great depressions. And I, and I, I don't think that that's unique to the left because I had people call me on the show when, when Obama won and they were very distressed and almost in tears saying, you know, what's going to happen or what are we going to do? Well, I told them we'll survive Obama. This, you know, we're, we're not going to, we're not going anywhere and we can certainly turn this around. And it looks like we have, let's, let's keep turning it around, make sure everybody gets out to vote. Tell all your, all your friends to get out and vote, vote Republican. Don't worry about the president. It's not about him. It's about the agenda and the agenda is working. So let's get out and vote. So at any rate, Brad Parscali contributed uh, an op-ed to USA Today on September 10th. And he talked about the, uh, the bias in media against the president and the conservatives. And, and I don't think there's any doubt about this. Even, even the liberal press is saying, yeah, that's true, you know, that we are biased against the conservatives. And, and this is the way they're trained. This is the background they come from. Uh, these are the professors that, that influence them. And I, th- and I think it, it's, it's, it's not uh, unexpected. I mean, let's face it, Trump projects a protectionist image to the world. And these are companies that, like Google and Facebook and Twitter, that are trying to get a world market. They want to make sure that their product and their company grows and that they make more money for themselves and their stockholders. And they're not going to be able to do it if Facebook is associated with a protectionist regime in the United States. So, of course, they want internationalism. Of course, they want socialism. Of course, they want pacifism. I mean, this is how they're going to make money. And a lot of the Jewish side of the family is involved in, in these companies. You know, this, these were started by a lot of Jewish members of the family. And the Jewish side of the family is internationalist, socialist. I mean, that's the majority of the opinion of the Jewish side. And then also the, a lot of the Catholic side of the family, too. So we've got an inherent bias both by religion and by uh, enculturation and by college training 
the press and also of the people who are running these large companies because they want to make more money. And they think they're making a better world as well by connecting everyone. And they probably are in some ways. So that's important for us to consider. <coughs> but we also live in a democracy. I was talking to a guy from Turkey, one of the, uh, one of the guys that was working on the ship in, in one of the restaurants, and he and I were talking. And his comment was that, and I said, look, if, if Erdogan and his party gain complete control, you're going to turn back into an Islamic regime and it'll be, you know, it'll be a, a, a Shia form of, of uh, justice. And he said, yeah, but if that's what more than 50% of the people want, what's wrong with that? Well, that ain't democracy, dude. I mean, you know, he doesn't understand that because he didn't grow up in our democracy. But we have to remember that what we have here, that our democracy is what is the beacon for the world in terms of providing a way for a universal democracy, and it doesn't necessarily have to be three separate branches of government, although this does seem to work better than anything else. It can be a parliamentary form of government, but the problem with a parliamentary form of government is you only have a legislative branch, and as we see in, in a lot of the European countries, basically they're steering uh, the, the way they want to go and not the way necessarily that the executive branch or the judicial branch wants to go. People argue, well, ultimately the outcome's the same. I don't think so. I mean, I've traveled around Europe and uh, it, it's just not the same. It's not, they're not the same democracies. I've talked to people and it's just a different way of looking at the world. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I think that we have to maintain what we have in order for people to realize that there is something else out there. So <clears throat> the president has been claiming that the press is biased and unfair, and it is. And so these companies are saying, well, wait a minute, we're private enterprises. Google, Facebook, Twitter, they're not public service providers. They're not internet service providers. They're not cable companies. So they say, well, we don't have to operate by the same rules. And so Trump, and I think rightfully so, a, a lot of people on the conservative side are saying, wait a minute. If you're going to actively use your platform to interfere with and try to influence the populace when it comes to politics or religion or whatever that has to do with freedom of speech, then you're opening yourself up to being regulated. And of course, I would not necessarily want these companies to be regulated, but, but by the same token, I do want them to be held uh, to a neutral position so that all of us, including me, Dr. Bill, has the opportunity to express his opinion, whether you like it or not. And I think that that's one of the great things companies like Salem Broadcasting has done. It has given an outlet to the conservative and the uh, Christian uh, conservatives to voice their opinions and concerns. And and that's a good thing. And you may say, well, a lot of it's claptrap and a lot of it's just people beating their gums and going over the same thing over and over and preaching morality. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, that's that's what's protected by the First Amendment is our religious and uh, political beliefs. That's the whole deal here. So the 
Google, YouTube, and other tech giants filter, suppress, and even directly attack conservatives, according to this article. And, and this has got to stop, according to our, our commentator. And we have to be uh, concerned about these powerful institutions. I'm kind of paraphrasing this as I go, so this is not my article. Again, this article is uh, written by Brad Parscali an opinion contributor, and I think he worked with the Trump campaign at some point. But l- let me paraphrase it for you, because it's really, uh, it's really powerful and it's really important that we hear this. Americans, we have to be wary of these powerful companies that seek control what we see in here. We don't want anybody to control what we see in here. And, you know, I tell this to my Canadian friends, that you don't have an open press. And they say, yes, we do. And then I show them that they don't. And they say, you know, we didn't realize that. We did not know that. And so the information they get about us and about politics and about the world is very skewed. And things like Fox News have been kept out of Canada, or at least had been for a long period of time. Now you can get it in in the hotels. But uh, I'm sure that there are some parts of Canada that will not allow Fox in or will not carry it. And the gatekeeper, and again, I'm paraphrasing, is uh, a, a big part of our lives and these tech giants like Facebook and Twitter and Google, uh, have, be, have sought, quote, sought to become the gatekeepers of the Internet and political discourse. Well, who put them in charge? <laughs> you know, I mean, they're in charge because they've got the control of this medium. And so there's no democratic mandate that's pointed out by our, our writer. Uh, these companies have appointed themselves the arbiters of, a, quote, acceptable thought discussion and searches online. And Wikipedia is the same way, although I think it's trying its best to remain open and uh, um, factual, but certainly there's a bias there as well. Now, the Google claims to believe in free speech and free expression and an open Internet and all that, but there's a lot of evidence that shows that it's not the case with the big tech giants. And they don't want the Internet to be free. They want it to be under their control. This is human nature. People want to control things. They want to control each other. They want to control the environment. They want to control their automobile. They want to control their kids. Control your kid. How many times have you heard that? Ultimately, we're not really in control of much of anything except ourselves. Uh, And that's probably the hardest lesson to learn in life. However... These big tech giants, they think that they're in control and they're going to be in control of us. And there is overwhelming evidence that they're suppressing, quote, suppressing voices of conservatives and hiding information and news that is good. So they're they're trying to stop what we see and don't see. It's a serious situation. Trump's have tweeted this. Uh, the president's been all over this. And we can see that Google has directly targeted Republicans. The president's right. During the 2016 campaign, Google was accused, and I'm paraphrasing this again, of manipulating the search results to favor Hillary's candidates, candidacy. And research at Harvard found that Google's search rankings are not objective. And the company was fined billions of dollars by the European Union for manipulating their search results. Again, I'm just paraphrasing and reading as I go along, so this is not me, although I agree with a lot of this. This is information. 
I did not know this. Google has nine shadowy blacklists. And uh, I guess there are certain things that they will not let the public see and they will, they will not let their search engines go to. So I guess we have to be sneakier now to get information out on Google and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I, I, I mean, uh, I really did not know that they had blacklists. That, that was news to me. So when it's not manipulating the Internet to prevent people from viewing conservative right-wing content, it's attacking the content, according to our author. In a report by the Daily Caller News Foundation, quote, revealed that Google's fact-checking service fact-checked only conservative news websites and then in many cases, these fact checkers were outright wrong. So what does that say about the fact checkers at Google? And sometimes these big companies just attack the right and the conservatives directly. In one example, quote, a Google search result listed Nazism as an official ideology of the California GOP. North Carolina Senator Trudy Wade, a Republican, was shocked to discover that the top search result for her name returned a photo labeling her as a bigot. Well, how does this happen? Well, they allow it. That's how it happens. They allow these things to, to come through, and they block other things, and they have that power. And even if at the very highest levels of uh, management are unaware of this, there's a lot of mid-level people in these companies that have strong biases, and those are the people that are carrying out the actual day-to-day -day chores of managing which websites will be reached by these search engines and what material and content will be allowed and what won't and how you can associate one thing with another. By the way, people still do not know the difference between fascism and Nazism. Fascism is a one-party system where the government allows private enterprise but has the ability to guide and control it and provides socialist services like health care and welfare and retirement and all the things that we associate with socialism. Nazism is fascism with bigotry and hate, with anti-Semitism, with anti-Slovakism, with anti-Russianism, and the Nazis were the Germans and the the uh, Austrians and the Hungarians who saw themselves as superior to all the other peoples of the earth. They practiced fascism, but they were Nazis because they were also racist and mass murderers. So that's the difference. Now, I have yet to see any evidence that the California GOP is a Nazi organization. I may be wrong, but I haven't seen it. In fact, when I go to the websites of some of the uh, representatives and senators from California, I'm really surprised at the multiculturalism of the uh, Republican Party in that state. So social media companies are the real enemies of the people, and that's the president. And people say, don't regulate social media companies, even if they let Holocaust deniers speak. If something vaguely conservative and intellectually stimulated, stimulating manages to get past Google's content gatekeepers, they just remove it, according to our author. Quote, 
YouTube, which is owned by Google, routinely demonizes, restricts, and censors conservative content. One target of YouTube was Dennis Prager's PragerU, which had 40 of its videos restricted. Prager sued the social media video, media video giant this year following these unfounded restrictions. YouTube has also been known for banning pro-life videos. Why would you ban a pro-life video? I mean, don't you want to know what the other side has to say? Don't you want to hear the arguments for not having an abortion? Don't you want people to have a choice? I mean, isn't that what the pro-choice people are about is choice? Apparently not. So their role as censor, according to our, our author, should come as little surprise. Quote, Eric Schmidt, the executive chairman of Google, Google's parent company, Alphabet Inc., has a demonstrated track record of combining the role of democratic activists with his job. And Google and YouTube shape our online, our online reality. Now, WikiLeaks emails revealed that, quote, Schmidt worked directly with the Clinton campaign in 2016 and was instrumental in forming the groundwork an online startup company created to help Clinton win the election. He was also seen wearing a staff badge at the, the Clinton election night party. Of course, it didn't work out so well for them. So you may say, well, who cares what these people do because it didn't work anyway. Well, I think that we have to stop and consider the long-term ramifications of having our media so controlled. I think that all we have to do is look back at what happened in Europe in the 1920s and 30s with fascism and the rise of Nazism in Germany. Uh, I, I think all we have to do is look at the, the rise of uh, communist Russia and China, where the press was uh, completely controlled by the state. And we have to realize that there is an inherent wrong and an inherent evil in this, especially in our system, that we have to be the standard bearer for an open and a free press, not only at home, but abroad. And, you know, the, the Google and the other companies are trying to be politically correct so they can get the Chinese market. They don't want a lot of right-wing stuff going into China. China does have Google now, but I'm sure that a lot of it is censored and that China made a deal with Google that they would censor their own material uh, to conform with the Communist Party's beliefs and ideology in China. So th this is a big problem, guys. This is a big problem, and we have to stand up against this. And this extends beyond uh, just the, the election of Trump. We see the same thing going on in the, in the press with uh, the uh, Kavanaugh situation. So we've got to be be tough here. We've got to take a stand again. We've got to get out and vote. We have got to get out and vote. So I'm counting on everybody to do that. We thank Brad Parscali for his campaign management uh, contributions to Donald Trump and also for this wonderful article on uh, in USA Today, which I was surprised was published, to tell you the truth. But they did let it come out. So getting close to the end of the show. I want to thank everybody for being here. Got to let you know, take that uh, Royal Caribbean cruise, get on one of those Oasis class ships. They are huge. They have everything from ice skating to rock climbing to surfboarding. It's unbelievable. And 
Have a great week, and I want to thank everybody. Love you guys, and I'll see you next week. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.